0: Another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, as always, is my uh, buddy, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, we are going to talk about some baseball history today. Are you excited?
1: Jeff, I'm telling you what, man. the stuff I found out for this week. It really has me going today. So, yeah, I'm ready to rumble.
0: So, this week, we could not be more baseball history-esque. That's right. Ish. Than uh, then kind of the origins of baseball. We, we've kind of covered it before, but we're gonna go more in depth this week, so be sure to stick around for that. We're gonna talk about where exactly, who exactly, why exactly baseball. So we'll get to that, but first, before we do that, we like to go through a bunch of stretching exercises, some batting exercises, and maybe take some infield. Let's start with a little BP, Mark. I've got a bunch of stuff, a bunch of stuff oh. this week. First, something I saw on Twitter. This is from the uh, Twitter account, at Baseball Minutia. Thought this was kind of interesting. We talked last week about the University of Miami and the Miami Marlins kind of flip-flopping uh, venues where they play now. Well, after the Chicago Cubs moved to what was then Wiggum Field, no, later Wrigley Field, in 1916, their prior home, which was West Side Park, was used by buffalo bill in his wild west show who rented it out oh, for a long running show that's so awesome they went from baseball to buffalo bill uh, shooting up stuff and i assume roping calves and
1: and annie oakley there and uh yeah that's City right. Bowl was part of it yeah, yeah.
0: annie oakley uh, i forgot that she was part of that too that's pretty cool Last week on our show, we I think we, we in Wax Packs Heroes, we drew Vaughn Hayes, who yes. we've talked about because I, I like me some Von Hayes, but we were both stumped by the Five for One nickname, which apparently everybody knows but us, which is a little <laughs> embarrassing right. being a baseball history podcast. And you came up with what I thought was a great uh, explanation for it, that he was a five tool player. But that is, in fact, not the case of why he is called five for one. We were uh, informed by several listeners as to why he was called five for one. And he is called that because he was involved in a very famous trade in which he was traded for five players. He was traded by Cleveland to Philadelphia for Jay Baller. Not a great player, but a great Nick, a great name. Uh, Julio Franco. Maybe you've heard of him still playing. Yeah. Manny Trio.
1: George Vukovic, wow. and Jerry Willard. A future catcher for the Tacoma Tigers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but that that is where the name comes from. And it's interesting, Julio Franco was a rookie. He had just finished his rookie, well, it wasn't actually his rookie season because he only had 16 games under his belt. So he hadn't qualified as a rookie at that point. But he was... Mm. I think probably the biggest name in that. I mean, Manny Trio and, and uh, George Vukovic was, he was okay. Didn't have a, yeah. a, a real long career. There you go. Five for one. I had, I had never heard that before. And I don't know how, but there is the explanation. Five for that.
1: one. Now we know. See, we, we won't leave you hanging folks.
0: Oh, well. Neither will our listeners. And we will always tell you when we are wrong, especially if Mark is wrong. I will definitely tell you then. Uh, One more feat that happened during the week. I put something about this up on Twitter, but we'll go a little bit more in depth here. Something happened in uh, the NPB this last week, which props to the NPB and to the Korean League, because as opposed to just trying to play 60 games, these guys are playing almost their full schedules. So Korea is in their playoffs right now. The uh, Taiwanese League is getting ready to go to a game seven in their final series but the nippon league is still in their regular season they're getting a lot of games in nice munataka mukamari of Yakult, the swallows stole second base stole third base both without throws and then stole home in the same inning last week wow. which that's really cool this has only been done 53 times in Major League Baseball By 43 wow. different players
1: so Wow yeah, I re- That's a tough one though
0: Yeah I, well first of all it was impressive To steal second and to steal third And the catcher never The catcher kind of bobbled it when he stole second not, not an easy feat No well it's only 53 times In, in Major League Baseball and uh, so I wanted to, I, I looked it up because I was curious. I was almost positive Ricky Henderson had never done it, but, but I wanted to make sure before I tweeted that out. So of the players that have done it, those 53, as we said, only 43 had done it. Ty Cobb and Ona Wagner are the leaders. They both have done it four times. Did do oh, it. Wow. I guess they're not going to do it again. I think both did it four times. And then Max Carey and Jackie Tavner, who I'm not as familiar with, uh, both yeah, did my it. my boy
1: Max Carey, baby. Twice. You know, he's one of my heroes. Yeah,
0: didn't you get, uh, you got an a autograph from him, didn't you?
1: I do have an old 1920-something autograph from Max, yeah. I shouldn't say you got it from him. You got him. That's scary.
0: Got <laughs> no, it,
1: No, it wasn't in personal. It wasn't in person. You're asking to sign this, and then he wouldn't respond. You're
0: you know? old, but yeah, no. Uh, John, uh, John Adam Tavner, nicknamed the Rabbit. He played for six years, five of which was with the Tigers. Uh, Forty-six stolen bases, thirty-one caught stealing. So oh, geez. not the greatest
1: percentage Just there, by the way. Every time, why don't you? he's on base. He's going to run the end.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm, I want to, I want to circle back to that when we get into our topic today, because uh, I've got something to say about that, but also I thought, wow, this is, it doesn't happen very often. I wonder when the last time this happened was, well, it happened this year. (laughs) John birdie of the Marlins did it. And I'm like, all right, well, that's clearly It hadn't happened. When was the last time it happened before that? The answer to that would be 2019 when Malik Smith did it. I'm like, okay, fine. Two times in two years. When was the time before that then? 2018 and Kevin Pillar did it. So (laughs) each of the last, and in 2017, Will Myers did it. So four of the last four seasons, somebody has stolen second, third, and home in the same inning.
1: That's crazy.
0: That is I would have never guessed that it had happened. Very
1: heavily skewed <laughs> towards modern day. That's, that's I would have thought like more would have happened back in the day where they were a little more daring with stealing home and stuff like that.
0: Between two thousand and and two thousand and eleven it only happened twice with Jason Worth and D. Gordon. Then you um, get back into the, the mid nineties and then it's happening like once a decade until you get back into the twenties. So it seems to be picking up. Business seems to be picking up in that department. I don't know if you've noticed this, Mark, but there has been an election going on in this country.
1: Oh, yeah, I I did hear something about that. You
0: really have to be a news junkie to know it was going on because it's not a lot being made about it. But as of the time of this recording, us recording this show right now, there has been the 46th president elected by the United States, not sworn in yet, but uh, the 46th president elected. So I got to thinking about the number 46. And I Uh was trying to, off the top of my head, come up with a single player who wore the number 46 that I thought might be worthy of talking about. Can you think of anybody that has worn number 46 off the top of your head?
1: The only 46 that comes to mind and it's the only autograph I ever got of a number 46 was Buddy Ryan, the coach, because he invented the 4-6 offense uh, or defense. Yeah. So he signed his autographs 46. That's all I can think of. And he didn't play baseball. And if he did, he probably wouldn't have played it well.
0: Well, there are a couple of Hall of Famers that are that are okay, number 46. Good. Juan Marshall and Lee Smith.
1: Yeah, and Marshall, I never, knew, I never knew he was 46, but it's good to know. Smith, yeah. I probably could have come up with if I had used my head, but... I don't like doing that it's painful
0: uh, another Hall of Famer that wore 46 Fergie Jenkins oh, it, it, nice. definitely a pitching number mm-hmm. is, is this is other players that have won 46 another pitcher Andy Pettit don't know if he'll make the Hall sure. of Fame two well actually three players that are not pitchers that wore 46. one is current Paul Goldschmidt wears number 46 oh, on wow. his back. This one I thought was uh, interesting. Don Mattingly, as a rookie, his first two seasons wore
1: number 46. I bet I know why. Bet somebody had 23, so he did 23 twice, 46.
0: Possibly. Or maybe he's like, I'm here, this number's too high, just have it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then the only other 46 of note, I mean, there's plenty of other 46s, but the only other one I wanted to mention was uh, from the 1975 White Sox. Ozzy Osborne, were number 46.
1: Ozzy Osbourne?
0: Yeah. <laughs> not the Prince of Darkness, just
1: Ozzy oh, Osbourne. Man. I wasn't going to go anywhere near Ozzy Osbourne to find that out. Okay, we're good.
0: Yeah, so uh, Ozzy Osborne, though, is not in baseball reference. He was uh, just on another numbers site, so I cannot <laughs> vouch for
1: that. I think the other, uh, the Osborne's number is 66. Actually it's
0: 666. Eh? he, he yeah. subscribes to the, uh, to the Japanese triple digit, you know, he's in the very low minors to, to have That's a number right. that. High. Uh, another thing I, I saw, this was on Twitter. This was from, uh, at MLB random stats. Uh, I've talked about this Twitter feed before. I got a, a lot of, of really interesting stats. Most home runs under each president. I will, I will give you a hundred dollars right now if you can tell me who hit the most home runs under Dwight Eisenhower's administration.
1: <laughs> All right, uh, Stan Musial.
0: Uh, very close. It was Eddie Matthews. Uh, he hit three hundred and thirteen. Uh, under JFK, it was Harmon Killebrew. Of course, that was
1: okay. Sure.
0: Not a full term with one hundred and thirty nine. Uh, Under Johnson, it was Willie Mays with 181. Under Tricky Dick, it was Hank Aaron with 218. Not surprised there. That makes sense. Gerald Ford, again, an abbreviated uh, abbreviated, uh, term, was Mike Schmidt with 87. Uh, Mike Schmidt also under Jimmy Carter, 152. And Mike Schmidt under Ronald Reagan, 259.
1: Wow. Wow. So Mike Schmidt doing work, which... We know Schmidt consistently, constantly hit the ball hard. Yep. He was amazing. Very hard.
0: Uh, George H.W. Bush. It was Fred McGriff with 137. (laughs) That one's interesting. Under Clinton, it was Griffey Jr. 351. Oh, okay. Under George W. It was another original Mariner, A-Rod with 364 with a little asterisk after it. Yes. Uh, Under Obama, it was Albert Pujols, two hundred and seventy-two, and the last four seasons. I'm going to give you. I'll give you a guess as to who who hit the most home runs.
1: Nelson
0: Cruz. That's a good guess, but no, it's Mike Trout, one hundred and thirty-four. Oh, sure. Uh, so oh, uh, the yeah. last four seasons, Nelson Cruz is hit hundred and thirty-three to Trumps uh, to Trumps to Trout's one thirty-four. <laughs> I got Trump on the mind. So just I one was off. Close. Yeah, very, very I was good really call. close. Okay, very good call, man. And that's almost the age difference between Mike Trout and Nelson.
1: <laughs> that's funny. I don't know. I think Nelson may have another ten years left in him. Yeah, he really could.
0: Uh, all right, let's jump into our trivia question. I asked you this last week. Nobody has given me an answer on this one. I don't. I'm not even sure if anybody ventured any answers because this was a tough one. Who holds the longest hitting streak against a single team
1: you know i i just said the ones that seem like they are in, in my world the in Mike my Trout, world my crowd <laughs> destroys the mariners uh, rafael palmero used to david justice uh you know and albert pujols one of those guys uh, probably has a big hitting streak against the mariners
0: well believe it or not it is not against the mariners It is actually against the Rangers between the seasons of two. Well, between during the 2004, 2005 and 2006 seasons, the in the first 44 games of his career, Vladimir Guerrero had a base hit against the Rangers. That is to start his career. The first 44 times that he faced the Rangers, he got a base hit
1: that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And in that 45th game they walked him 3 times. So
1: <laughs> Didn't why wouldn't they
0: quite get the chance. Now, some conflicting information, one of which said that this was the longest hitting streak against a particular team since 1957, but then no none of these stories would tell me who before 1957 had the record and against which team. And eventually I found a story by Elias, who is the official stat provider of Major League Baseball, and they said 1900. So I I thought that that was, I'm going to go with that, that since 1900, he has the longest hit streak against a single team. And Hmm. it, it makes sense that, Earlier in baseball, you might have longer hit streaks because there weren't as many teams, so you play teams sure. more often, and you're in the lineup every every game. But that was uh, I was I was floored when I saw a 44 game hit streak against one team, especially to start your career out with. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty so incredible. incredible. Vlad's pretty incredible, though.
1: He's one amazing baseball player, that's for sure.
0: Let us uh, wrap up our BP segment here. We are going to get into, as I said, this is kind of, it it could almost be the mission statement of our show. This is a baseball history podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a little bit more about the origins of baseball. We've done it before. If you want to go back to episode way back when, episode 25, this is what? We're in episode 91, Mark. It's a lot of episodes. Oh, my goodness. If you want to go back to episode 25, we talk about the history of the Hall of Fame. And within that, we talk about some of the things that we're going to talk about here. But we're going to go a little bit more in depth here. So, Mark, I'm going to let you start out here and kind of guide us through the history of the game.
1: OK, well, I, I grew up personally being told that the inventor of baseball was Civil War hero Abner Doubleday. And no one ever really questioned it when I was a kid. And I remember hearing one day that, no, 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 it wasn't. That's, that's a myth. They, they got Doubleday because he sounded good. He was an American hero, you know, and wow, we'll put him in. It makes baseball 100% pure Americana. In looking at all his correspondence and those who were around him, <laughs> you find out that there was never any mention of the word baseball or town ball or rounders or, or anything. So it was a good idea.
0: He never never took credit for it never mentioned it never tried to nothing abner is an innocent victim in this entire scheme
1: he is he is and uh it, it's interesting because that was pretty much the story they stuck with um by the 1870s baseball uh, really was the national pastime it 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 was an obsession for uh p- sports fans and people all over the country um in the 19th century and early 20th century, there's this dispute that came about about where did baseball come from? Who invented it? Uh, is it it was it invented in the United States? Did it develop as a variation from another game, etc.? Albert Spalding, who is uh, he was the Chicago Cubs president, he did some sporting goods later in life, I think.
0: Well, he was he was also a, a good ball player.
1: Yeah, he was. This is post uh, post his ball playing, I think. So the sport being 100% American created in the US, that idea was backed by Albert Spaulding and nationally President Abraham G. Mills. The other side of the argument is look, baseball is the greatest game ever, but it came out of some other games, uh, rounders, town ball, etc and we just kind of developed it into our own game. Um, and that side was taken up by the prominent sports writer Henry Chadwick. Chadwick, was a big rounders fan and he saw baseball as something that was a great game derived from another great game called rounders. Well, Spalding was having none of that. And so this argument ensued about where the origins of baseball came from. I don't know, Jeff, you want to talk a little bit about rounders or town ball? Sure.
0: I also just want to, I just pulled up Albert Spalding's page here in baseball reference. He was a Mm -hmm. pitcher. He only pitched for seven years, and I, I, I'm afraid I don't know. He must have been injured because he, he only uh, pitched in four games in 1877 at the age of 26. The four, or the, I'm sorry, the six prior years to that, he amassed a record of 251 and 65. He never had a losing season And that last year where he only pitched in four games, he went 1-0. and His lowest win total besides that was 19. He won 19, 38, 41, 52, 54, and 47 games in his first six years. Led the league in wins, led the league in games, led the league in shutouts, innings pitched, he had nine saves one year in 1875 before they even gave out saves he led the league (laughs) but i mean he was an incredible pitcher he is in the hall of fame but yeah let's talk about let's talk about rounders first first of all rounders is first referenced in a book in 1744 and it was actually called baseball at that point the book was a little pretty pocketbook sounds Kind of like it might have been for a girl. Doesn't matter.
1: I have I have a few of those, so
0: <laughs> But I mean seventeen forty four in England people were writing about baseball. That's incredible. Yeah. And and, and as I said, it was called baseball at this point before it was known as rounders, similar to how soccer was originally called soccer throughout the world, but then England changed it to football in like the 60s. Now they're all sanctimonious about it if you say soccer. English rules and Irish rules are two very different sets of rules of rounders. Irish rules seems to be more in line with modern baseball rules. Both are very much like cricket, but instead of two wickets, there are four stumps, which you can kind of think of as, as bases. Home plate, though, is not where we think of it now. Actually, the batter stands in a box what would actually kind of be between home plate and first base. And that's where they bat, and then you run counterclockwise to first, second, and third. And then third, instead of coming back to where you batted, you just kind of like go down at 120 degrees instead of 90 and that's where that final stump is. The pitcher would bowl the ball from a box, no mound, and that box was seven and a half meters from home, or 24.6 feet. A little different there. They would bowl underhand, not, again, this is, I'm using cricket terms here. Bowl is essentially throw the ball, but you had to do it underhand. No bat flips allowed. Like cricket, you have to keep the bat in your hand at all times, uh, whether you're at bat or not. If you are on base or on a stump, you are touching it with your bat. That's just like standing on the bag now. So Tim Anderson would not enjoy this <laughs> version of of baseball. Bats are short. They kind of look like, you know what a beater's bat looks like in Quidditch from Harry Potter?
1: Me? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It looks like that. It looks like an old-timey Billy Club from from a Bobby in like a Sherlock Holmes movie. So, you know, it's only like maybe two, two and a half feet, and it's kind of thick on the end. That's what they would use, and you could swing it with either one or two hands on the bat. The game was only two innings long. And yes. the inning consists of everybody batting, kind of like cricket. Everybody bats until everybody is out. Unlike cricket, once, you know, if you circle the bases and score, you go to the back of the line and wait till you bat again, instead of just keep batting like you do in cricket until you are retired. The bowler, as I said, throws it underhand, it must be above the knees and below the batter's head can't be too far out and it can't be at the batter anything else is considered a no ball so it's it's like no pitch batter gets only one non no ball to try and hit they swing and put it in play they start running even if they miss they must run to first so as soon as that first mm-hmm. non ball comes they swing if you swing and miss doesn't matter you run you run to first um you can also run to first on a no ball if you want so it's kind of like the atlantic league remember where you can steal first base so if you swing and the ball gets away from the catcher you can and it's not the third strike you could run and and essentially steal first you can do that as well but you can't be thrown out if they throw you out on a no on a no ball there you come back and and you get until you get a non no ball uh, a batter could gotcha. hit the ball backwards, just like cricket. But if they did, they could only go to first. You couldn't get more than what we would call a single. When you're running bases, you can't turn back. If you leave a stump or a bag thinking about going to the next one, you can't turn and go back. You had to keep going. You're committed once you go there. You're out, similar to cricket, if the stump is touched with the ball before you make contact with your bat or you're tagged out. The batter hits the ball and it's caught without first hitting the ground. You're out. Baseball originally would call the batter out if a fielder caught the ball before the second bounce. But your boy, your boy Chadwick changed that rule to be you got to catch it on the fly. (laughs) And I think that was for the best. Home runs were essentially worth one point or one rounder. Scoring a run while not being the batter, you would get half a rounder. So if you just got a single or a double and then the next guy put the ball in play and you came around and scored, that would be worth half a rounder instead of one whole run as we do today. The batting order, as I said, not completely set. You score, you go to the back of the line and teams could have up to 15 players, but you must have at least six and you could only have nine at a time on the field. So those are the basic rules of rounders still being played today, especially in England and Ireland. There is an official association. There are rules. There are leagues. All this kind of stuff you can find online. But that is the basics of rounders. I've got some other variations of a sport called town ball, which has different rules that uh, that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But there, there is the down-and-dirty quick rule today I learned frequently asked questions about rounders
1: <laughs> very nice yeah and and folks if you're listening to that and you're putting it together and you're going this is pretty much baseball you're right you're, you're right
0: you are <laughs> it is clearly a first step to the game that we know today
1: right but it was not we, the country at the time and those in charge of baseball. It uh, was all about patriotism and, you know, U.S. had to show off. So we had to say no. That was completely invented by Abner Doubleday, the war hero. And uh, we, we didn't have anything to do with Rounders. Right.
0: <laughs> well, we, tr- we we just got our independence a little while ago from England. There's no way we would have gotten this from them.
1: That's right. So that was Henry Chadwick argued that the uh, there were just so many common factors. Between baseball and uh, rounders, that it just had to be. Where on the other side, I uh, found this little interesting thing. Uh, Abraham G. Mills was speaking at Delmonico's restaurant, and he declared that baseball was strictly American, which he said was determined through patriotism and research. His audience <laughs> of about 300 people responded by chanting, No rounders.
0: <laughs> God, he would have fit right in today in Washington. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was determined through patriotism and research. That, 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 I kind of wanted to talk about that because those are the two and the invention of baseball. Those are the two directions that, that people went. Those are the two, quote unquote, sides. Wouldn't you agree, Jeff?
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah. we know clearly now, though, there is a right side and a wrong side to this. <laughs> I mean, OK. Yes. There, nobody has pinpointed exactly who invented baseball. I don't think I don't think you can because it's clearly a variation of a long standing game that. People had been playing in uh, in the UK for, a, you know, at least since 1744 when it appeared in uh, a little pretty pocketbook. <laughs> I, I think it's well, fairly safe to say, though, it is not an American invention. It is in a is something that uh, Americans have expanded upon and made it better, I would say.
1: Yes. So the question became if baseball were 100 percent American, who invented it? And and we all by then everybody was like well Double Day was fun we're not going to go with that and so the research ended up going to the Knickerbockers the the first professional baseball club I believe weren't they Jeff
0: they were not completely professional because that right. was the Cincinnati Redlegs if you remember from last week but this was I think you're you're re- referring to the first game played at Elysian Fields in in New Jersey
1: yeah Alexander Joy Cartwright Jr was a member of the uh, Knickerbockers. And uh, he has since been credited with coming up with 90-foot base paths, nine inning games, nine players on the side, or on each side, and, you know, basically all the modern rules, three strikes, new route, four balls in a walk, three outs in an inning, et cetera. Cartwright, we were told from then on was this was the guy. This is the guy that invented baseball, and we're all very impressed. As it turns out, though, This 1950 or sorry, 1857 meeting, there was a convention of 14 New York area clubs. And the whole point was to codify the rules of the game of baseball. So it was a convention. They were going to go over and they were going to actually create and say, these are the actual modern rules. Well, guess who wasn't there? Alexander Cartwright. (laughs) So that really leaves that up in the air, doesn't it? About Cartwright inventing baseball. And, you know, he's got, Cartwright has, uh, he's in the Hall of Fame, you know, and maybe he should be there for other reasons and so on. But the idea that he just took a, a notebook out and started drawing up a 90-foot bases and so on, that's just not true. The guy that really decided that he, you know, he thought it out, did all the math, thought he had a great idea, and really did take the lead as far as coming up with baseball's true rules was a guy named Daniel Lucius Doc Adams everybody just called him doc and doc was an actual doctor loved baseball loved to play Practiced medicine and played baseball simultaneously married had five children and he was also a state legislature so he didn't have a lot of free time <laughs> however however he did come up with the idea of setting the rules down and uh, he was involved in every aspect of it here's an example Adams makes the argument that we should have 90 foot bases. They are that's the perfect length. Everybody was like 75 feet, dude. Bases are 75 feet. And he he argued until he was blue in the face, saying it needs to be 30 yards. Just watch any other game, watch 30 yards. That's that's the exact right amount of t- so they finally gave in and they said, fine, you get your 30 yards, you get your 90 foot bases. That is something that Adams had a big part to play in. Interestingly enough, a guy that I wasn't really familiar with, Daniel Lucius Doc Adams, may be more the father of baseball than either of the previous fathers we mentioned.
0: That's incredible. I, I was just talking on Twitter with somebody last week about the 90 feet and how it is absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. There are mm-hmm. so many close plays at first base. And imagine if it was it- 75, you'd, you'd see guys hitting 600.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it would be a completely perfect. different game.
0: There just so many things in, in baseball that are just perfect, that are just just right where they need to be to make make it exciting.
1: Yeah, it's so true. That's what makes it. Uh, you know, we always talk about that's what makes baseball incredible. That, that's just another thing that that adds to the myst- uh, mysticism of baseball. How it's just more than a sport, in my opinion. Adams will, will Adams ever get the uh, credit. For what he did. He was actually on the Hall of Fame ballot for 2016. Really? But the committee only gave him, did not give him enough votes. What happened was these new documents came about. It's documents called Laws of Baseball. There's a space there, it's not one word. And this is where this this meeting came from. They came up with these laws. This was in 1857, so it was three years earlier than they thought Cartwright invented the game. So... I think we've done a pretty good job of disseminating some bad information. We don't really have, relying at, at what I've discovered, we don't really have a father of baseball. We have a few uncles, Spalding <laughs> being one, and and Adams being one. And you can even include uh, our everybody's got a uh, like their dad's best friend they call an uncle. Well, that would be having a double date of baseball.
0: That's very interesting. Let me let me tell you a little bit more about some of these other games. Because I think you'll, you'll find some of the, the rules of these other games are things that people like Doc Adams and Cartwright and so forth melded together to kind of come up with what we've got today. So you've mentioned it a couple of times. There's Town Ball, which is very similar to Rounders, but it is different. And there are a couple of different variations of Town Ball. Specifically, there is Philadelphia Ball and then there's New York Ball. And that New York ball is closer to what I described earlier, rounders. Uh, Again, with town ball, number of players on a team was usually more than nine. The report that we've talked about before, commissioned by Albert Spaulding, said that there could be 20 to 50 players in the field at one time. A lot of of collisions going on. Uh, Also, the field size had no limits. So there was several fields that were almost a mile wide, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I had to read that several times. Uh, It is more likely, though, that most games of Town Ball were played with 11 players per side. It also says that they used flat bats like cricket bats as opposed to the uh, the rounded bats that we were discussing in rounders. There was no foul territory. All balls struck were in play. So again, very similar to cricket. Base runners could be retired as well by hitting them with the ball, which was called soaking or plugging.
1: There are certain players, kids I grew up with, that would have really enjoyed that rule. Uh, I think there are current
0: major leaguers, some that would really enjoy that rule. <laughs> Boy, but be a lot of brawls. Uh, bases, yeah. also much closer together. This is kind of like, again, this is what you were talking about. Uh, bases were also, though, you were they were not a safe haven. They were just simply points that you would have to touch before you were plugged or soaked or otherwise put out before crossing home plate trying to score. So essentially, it was a two true outcome type of game. It was either a home run or it was an out. Innings were played, they were played two ways. First being called all out, all out, which meant all players had to be called out before the end of the inning. Or one out, all out, which meant only one batter needed to be retired and then that
1: would end the inning. Doesn't sound like as much fun as the other ones. No.
0: <laughs> Let's, it's just a little bit different. So if Babe Ruth, I think we can we can say without question, Babe Ruth is the most famous baseball player of all time in the world. Sure. If I if we were to extend the history of baseball to town ball and rounders, I'm going to tell you there was somebody that would exceed Babe Ruth's fame. Abe Lincoln was a noted <laughs> town ball enthusiast, no, and he kidding. would often he would often get games together to help distract him from his political as as well as his legal career. He was uh, he enjoyed uh, playing town ball and actually during some political conferences, he would often be the guy that would organize a town ball game.
1: That's awesome.
0: Uh, There was another game called Old Cat and Old Cat is very similar to town ball, but instead of team versus team, it was player versus player. Hmm. Everybody would rotate a position as outs are recorded. So if you started out at, and these positions numbers have nothing to do with how we score today. So today, the shortstop is position number six. But at this point, uh, I don't, I I read what the numbers were, but six was not shortstop. It was, let's say it's left field. So if you started in left field and one person got out, that person would then go to the field. Everybody would move up and whoever was position one would then become the batter. So that's how you would play. And it would just be, you would keep going until you were put out and you would score these runs or rounders, whatever. There were only two bases. So it's just like cricket. You hit the ball and then you run back and forth and each one you touch, you get a run. There was another game called three old cat, which had three bases and you would play with more players. But again, it was player versus player. And then of course there was the, four old cat which is more like rounders and it has the four bases again another game very similar to these other ones where certain aspects of it have been amalgamated to the game we know today and then the last variation I wanted to bring up is something called extreme baseball now this is a very modern take on a baseball both teams are on the field at the same time (laughs) pitchers from each team take turns pitching to batters at two adjacent home plates (laughs) so it's kind of like you've ever you've ever seen batting practice in japan they have two cages right next to each other so multiple players can be taking bp at once so it's kind of similar to that one team runs around the bases in the normal counterclockwise direction and the other team runs around the base in a clockwise direction and you can have <laughs> runners inhabiting the same base from different teams at the same time. So that is extreme. Yeah, this is ex- extreme. They, <laughs> if you ever went to one of these games, they will sell you the whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> this league. Uh was playing up until about 2012, and then it ran into some financial issues. This league is still available for purchase if anybody wants to buy it and start it back up. We're, we're going to start a GoFundMe for this.
1: That's where I was going to, yeah. <laughs> if all our listeners contribute just seven or $8,000 each, we can do this.
0: A day for the next two <laughs> years, That's right. we could put a down payment down.
1: We're extremely we'll honest, nice back to you on that go fund me the xbl
0: let's do it (laughs) all right so that's it that is that is the complete history of baseball you don't want you don't even need to watch ken burns baseball you don't need to read any sort of books uh this is this is it there's nothing more you need to know Uh, there's plenty more and and we will i'm sure probably cover this again (laughs) because I'm sure. we can never know everything about this and put it in an hour-long podcast, which is going to run a yeah. little long today because, uh, I don't know, we had a lot of fun talking about this stuff, but there you go. Yes. The history history of the game of baseball.
1: Yep, itself, there you go.
0: All right, Mark, are you ready to jump into the segment that we have deemed Wax Packs Heroes? Wax
1: ready willing and able
0: all right well let's do it you had a big big win last week uh i i was never really close and i i could have been because i should have i should have stolen the pack from you and i didn't and uh you came away with a big win to uh to extend your lead you're now at five games to three last week you came in with 83 cents while well, i could only muster 28 let us get ready to jump into this week's episode. Uh, I've got another donated pair of packs here from our buddy Mitch. Uh, mm-hmm. We are he he has graciously given us a, a two packs of 1990 Fleers. Not a lot of big money cards. The David Justice rookie card and there's a Cal Ripken error card. Those are your two big money cards. Those are the only ones worth over a dollar. Mm -hmm. Uh, before we get into it though let us go over the rules we are going to be scoring these using a may 1992 beckett baseball card monthly we've got some extra rules to tack on or subtract money as well if you are sporting a mustache you're going to get an extra cent if your mustache is deemed superior meaning uh, tom Selleck would be jealous you're going to get two cents because that's a good look If you're wearing glasses of any sort, you're gonna get an extra cent. If you are wearing real stirrups that we can see, you get an extra cent. If you are wearing, however, two and ones, we're gonna minus one cent because that's not a good look. If you are wearing MIMS bands, meaning anything that has a caricature of you or your jersey number on it, we're gonna give you an extra cent. And if you are wearing high top shoes, we're going to minus a cent. And if you're wearing high top shoes and two in ones, we're going to minus two cents because that's a crime against humanity.
1: It's just like wearing white after Labor Day. It's
0: awful. It's awful.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So, uh, Mark, I've got these two packs of cards. Uh, I'm going to let you choose left or right. I'm going to go with the right. Go with the right. All right. I have got the option because I am the commissioner of stealing that pack. Or not stealing that pack, I'm going to go ahead and let you have it. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm only going to steal when when I get behind too far. I'm only down two, so you've got the pack here on the right. Uh, I'm going to elect to go second, so you are going to get to go first, and I am going to open these up and we will get started. All right. So we start off with some uh, stickers. You've got an old school Expos, Dodgers, Mets, and Phillies sticker. So Mm. there is baseball trivia on the back, but we're not going to go over that. All right, you're off to a good start here. Uh, You've got a special card. It's called Human Dynamos, and Mm. uh, it looks like it was taken at the All-Star game here where one of the members here hit a home run in the first inning that uh, President at the time, Ronald Reagan, got very excited about. This card has a hall of famer on it as well. It is Kirby Puckett and Bo Jackson.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. So let's see. Kirby.
0: Yeah. So you're going to start off strong. That's a seven cent card. Uh, Of course, Kirby's in the hall of fame and he's got a mustache. Bo does not. And, uh, it's, it's hard to tell with Bo. Sometimes he had one. I can't tell here. I don't think he does, but, uh, that's going to get you $0.13 cents to start off with, though. So That's, yeah, uh, that's a good start. Yeah, that's, right on. that's a good way to start. Next, get got a pitcher for the Oakland A's. It is Storm Davis.
1: Storm Davis, yep. Um, he was, what, the fifth pitcher in the rotation?
0: Fourth or fifth, yeah.
1: Yeah, and he can do the job. Won a lot of games, got a lot of uh, backup.
0: Yeah, I mean in 88 and 89 he went 16 and 7 and 19 and 7. So for the back end yeah. of a rotation, that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Writers on the Storm Davis, not worth anything in Beckett. He unfortunately, though, was on the team with Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, who loved to wear two and ones. So you're gonna get minus <laughs> one cent there.
1: Oh man. You should get the minus one. It's your team. <laughs>
0: Uh, next pitcher for the uh Baltimore Orioles it is Pete Harnish
1: Pete Harnish good, he's a good pitcher
0: yeah he was a solid pitcher I, I'm let's see here I'm sure he was an all-star at some point uh, I just remember he was always a solid solid guy I think he was on the Astros too for a bit mm-hmm. he was uh he pitched for 14 years uh also on the Reds for a good deal he was uh only an all-star once. That's his only uh, only claim to fame there, but one eleven and one o three lifetime record, Uh, no value in Beckett. Or uh, no, I'm sorry, Uh, there is a value in Beckett, Uh, four cents. I don't know how that is, but congratulations, you're up to eighteen cents. Okay. Next, oh, (laughs) I almost want to give you extra money for this, just because we've talked about him a lot recently regarding Jellogate. Uh, I posted some stuff on Twitter with him. <laughs> it's pitcher for the Astros, Larry Anderson,
1: <laughs> and that's Anderson S E N. I wanted to point that out. Absolutely um, correct. Uh, yeah, Larry Larry Anderson was uh, an awesome player and a prankster. Um, he was also involved in one of the best Astros trades of all time. For Jeff, they dealt him. <laughs> they built him to get some third baseman that they moved to first the guy's name was bagwell i think yeah I
0: wonder whatever became yeah. of him uh i don't know no value from beckett but he's got real stirrups so you're gonna get one cent next you got another pitcher but he is looking very uh infieldish here he's got a batting glove on underneath his uh underneath his glove and he's also wearing sweat bands not mims bands but it's Melito perez pitcher for the chicago white Sox.
1: Melito, i don't i remember him being kind of a small guy isn't he a really skinny guy.
0: Uh definitely skinny. He was 6'4, 180. So
1: yeah, he was he, he was super thin.
0: Yeah, when he when mm-hmm. he go into his motion, you lose sight of him for an instant at yeah. home
1: plate. Real lanky. Yeah. yeah. Uh
0: no value there from Beckett. No uh, nothing else that's gonna add or subtract anything. Next, oh hey, this is one of my nemesis. Billy Bean's best friend. Managed the A's for some just awful, awful years. And won a World Series this ring as the bench coach for the Dodgers. Here he is catching for the Yankees, Bob Guerin.
1: Bob Guerin, man. I, I do remember him being with uh coaching with the A's. Did he manage the team? Yeah,
0: he managed the team huh. really awfully. I I really <laughs> I just I dislike the man so much because of the way he managed my team. No value in any way, shape, or form there. Next, we have got the guy that caught the final out for the Yankees' first World Series win in 20-plus years. It's Charlie Hayes, third baseman here for the Philadelphia Phillies.
1: Chuck Hayes. Don't know a whole lot about him, but uh, I'm sure he's a really good guy.
0: Charlie not worth anything here in Beckett. He has got 2 and one stirrups, but he's also got a mustache, so that'll even you out there. Next, we have got a gentleman, a pitcher here for the Rangers. His son was the number one draft pick for the Kansas City Royals last year. As a shortstop, here is Bobby Witt, Sr.
1: Bobby Witt, good ball player in his own right. Yeah, you good know, I mean, pitcher. He stuck around for a while, and, and uh, he could get some outs. Was he a lefty?
0: Uh, no, he's a righty. Okay. A's legend Bobby Witt came over the deadline in '90. No value here from Beckett, and he's wearing two and ones. So it's going to be a minus one cent for you. You're at 18 cents. And your next card is first baseman for the Braves. That is not Fred McGriff. It's Gerald Perry.
1: Gerald Perry. He did a decent job over there. Yeah, didn't, But McGriff was better.
0: Yeah, I think that's safe to say. McGriff hit the most home runs during the,
1: uh, the Reagan era.
0: No. The uh, George the W.
1: H.W. Bush. That's right.
0: I believe. That's right. Let me double check my work because I think we mentioned it was a short one. Yeah. Yeah. With a uh, 137. No value here from Gerald Perry. He's got uh, real stirrups, though, and uh, it does not look like a mustache. So you're just going to get one cent. That'll bring you to 19 cents. Next. I remember this guy as an Astro more than anybody. Here he is with the Cardinals, third baseman Denny Walling.
1: Yeah, Denny Walling was was definitely an Astro for a good long time. I was a big fan of his corner infielder, pretty good bat. Yep, I like Denny.
0: Uh, Denny Walling played for a good amount of time, 18 years, uh, 13 of wow. which was with, with Houston. But uh, wow. that's it. No, no playoffs, no... Uh, well, he, he he made the playoffs, but he never won anything. Never an all-star either. Mm. Uh, no value there. Next catcher for Cleveland, it is Andy Allenson. No clue. I remember Andy. He's got a good mustache here. It's not a two-center, but it's a, a mustache that'll bring you up to 20 cents. Like, he was behind uh, Sandy Alomar, though, at the plate. And he was the number two sure. catcher. This guy we've talked about before. He's got a great jerry curl. You and I both remember him more as a second baseman for the Phillies. But here he oh, yeah. is. Uh, he wound down his career with the Mets. It's Juan Samuel.
1: Juan Samuel. Solid second baseman.
0: Wore, wore that Phillies uniform really well. Uh, I think I say yeah. that every, every time that we uh, talk about him.
1: <laughs> he did look sharp in that uni. And, you know, he, he, he could do a little bit of everything, too. He was, he was pretty solid all around.
0: Yeah, he was an all-star a couple of times. Uh, ended up 259 career average. Started off his career leading the league in strikeouts four of his first five seasons. And then really cut Man. down.
1: Man, I guess he'd had to have.
0: No value, though. Yeah, he's got that mustache, so you're going to get one cent. Next, uh, nicknamed Devo, and it's not Devon White. We just had him, I believe, last week. Here he is with the Orioles' Mike Devereaux.
1: Oh yeah he was uh, he was a Dodger though I think he came up through the Dodgers.
0: Let's see he you are absolutely correct Albuquerque and then up to the Dodgers for one year uh two years he played before he was uh, traded to the Orioles. No value he's got he's got a like a 430 o'clock shadow not quite a mustache.
1: <laughs> oh well almost there.
0: next this guy is a third base coach for the Houston Astros his son, went to the University of Washington, played football, was drafted in the first round by the 49ers, and was cut this last week. It is Gary
1: Pettis. Gary Pettis, uh, who I got to work with for uh, one season in the minors, and you will not meet a nicer guy. And just, uh, he, he was so good at, uh, he wasn't a coach with us. He was supposed to play, but he was so good with the younger players and just throwing them out little hints here and there on how to make things better. And he was he was just a good guy to be around. Good base runner, good speed. Oh, yeah. And uh, a few gold gloves, I believe. For yeah. The guy that couldn't hit, he won some gold gloves.
0: Yeah, I, I'm looking at his stolen bases here, and he was at, you know, 40 to 50 every year uh, during the first right. part of his career. Also born in Oakland, California, so good for him. Huh. No value in Beckett, but he's wearing real stirrups, so you'll get one cent to 23 cents. Next pitcher for the Giants, it is Jeff Brantley. Sure. No value there in Beckett and nothing, uh, nothing extra. And your final card is from the Dodgers. It is outfielder Mike
1: Marshall. Mike Marshall. Remember that guy used to always, I didn't get hurt a lot, but he missed a lot of games from being hurt. It was, it was weird.
0: Well, how, how did he uh, get hurt?
1: Well, he would, I remember hearing one story that he came up to uh, the manager and said he couldn't play that day, and the manager asked him why, and he said, "General soreness." <laughs> <laughs> so he he was not really known for, as the kind of guy that would grab the pole by the horns, but he was a good ball player. And General soreness. He Sorens. did what he could.
0: <laughs> Eleven years in the bigs. I'll take yep. it. I'll take that career. Also, won two World Series. Yep. There you go. Both with the Dodgers in '81 and '88. And then uh, was on Boston the next year ninety when the A's beat them. All right, no uh, no value of any sort there on Mike Marshall. So that will end your pack at twenty three cents.
1: Okay, that's not the best that, score.
0: That is very beatable on my part. So let's uh, let's open this second pack here, and we will see what uh, I can come up with. All right, so I've got a sticker. I got four stickers. I got Cleveland. Tigers, Royals, and uh, Old School Brewers, so that's good there. I'm going to get some uh, extra extra points here on this one. I'm starting off with a member of the Wax Pack Book Pack. It is infielder mm-hmm. for the Toronto Blue Jays, Rance
1: Mullinex. Nice. Rance has been discussed on this show a number of times.
0: Yep, we've discussed him several times. No value from Beckett, but he is wearing some big science teacher glasses. And he has got a nice, thick, bushy mustache that I'm going to give myself two cents for. So that's going to be a three-cent card to start off with. Good way to get underway. Next, we I think we pulled him last week as well. Pitcher for the Bucks. it is Doug Drabeck.
1: Oh, yeah. We were talking about what a solid pitcher he was. He really was.
0: Yeah. He was an yeah. all-star several times. His son pitched for the Astros. Uh, I'm going to guess probably no value, though. Uh, no value in Beckett, but he does have a mustache as always. So I'll get one cent there. I'll bring me up to four cents. This is a Grizzly Adams esque card. He always had a big beard. Was one of the great closers of the time here with the Twins. It's Jeff Reardon.
1: Reardon knocked, he, uh, notched a ton of saves over the course of his career.
0: Yeah, so Jeff Reardon, uh, I think. We've talked about him, his numbers before, because he only led the league in saves once. And that was in 85 with Montreal. But he finished with 367 saves, which I think was the the record at the time he retired. Uh, He was on that 87 World Series team with the uh, Twins as well. But no value in Beckett, but he's got that incredibly bushy mustache and beard. That'll give me five cent total. This guy is one of your favorite Astro pitchers that is not Nolan Ryan. Uh, He is admitted to how the Astros stole signs in the early 80s. This is a Fleer All-Star team card, Mike Scott.
1: Mike Scott was, he was the perfect compliment to Nolan Ryan because he had, I don't know what he threw, man, but those pitches, he would throw stuff that would bend in directions you didn't think were possible. He was so dominant for a couple years, um, it was him and Nolan and a guy named Danny Darwin that were just unhittable over the course of, of a few years there in the Astros.
0: Yeah, Danny, Danny Darwin. I remember him from the Astros and the uh, the Red Sox. Uh, yeah. This is an all-star card, and we've determined those are generally not worth anything, and this one is not either. No. Uh, but he does have real stirrups on, so that'll get me one cent. Next, I've got a checklist card, so that's not cool. Next, Ooh. after that, is one of my favorite third basemen. We talk about him every time we pull him. He's got a good mustache. He's got good stirrups, but his card's not worth anything. It's Mike Pagliarulo.
1: Yeah, Pagliarulo should He should be in the Hall of Fame just because he's got the name Pagliarulo. Pags I mean, come on, that's a, a great, sweet name to say.
0: Pags is a great nickname. Uh, yeah, next, can't beat it. next, we've got uh, somebody that was traded for Ricky Henderson at one point. Uh, from New York to Oakland. Here he is still with Oakland. It's Stan Javier.
1: Stan Javier, yes. Final game of his career. He was a Seattle Mariner. I just wanted to point that out. (laughs) And he was
0: celebrated as such. Uh, No value from Beckett. Mm -hmm. He's got a a wispy little mustache there. That'll bring me up to nine cents. Next, we have got the catcher who caught Nolan Ryan's uh, 5,000 strikeout against Ricky Henderson. He has got a Tom Selleck mustache here, and I think that's going to be the only value I get from Gino Petrali.
1: Oh man, I remember Gino. I don't remember him playing a whole lot, but uh, you just got you got to like the name Gino Petrali. Yeah,
0: I I'm guessing that he's Irish. Is that what what, what we should get from a Gino Petrali?
1: Gino Petrali, yeah, he's uh, definitely Irish, <laughs> and uh, is uh, known for speaking Gaelic. Yeah. <laughs>
0: all right next we've got a world series winning manager from last year here he is though when he was on the expos who then moved to the national you know to washington and became the nationals it's dave martinez oh yeah this is a young wow he looks like he's about 18 here but he had already been in the big leagues for four years at this point Wow. Uh no value here from Beckett and nothing that's going to get me anything else. He's wearing the number 1 though. That takes some uh some uh, cojones to do. Let's see, mm-hmm. was he uh, was he a, a number 1 draft pick? He was drafted in the 40th round and then in the 3rd round. So, yeah, that takes some uh takes some guts to wear number 1. <laughs> if yeah, know. it does. Alright, uh, no value there So I still sit at 11 cents Next, Goobs From the Royals, Mark Goobza Another
1: good ball player
0: Yeah, and some of these, I, I've, I've started taking to not pulling up Everybody's stats, just simply because we've Talked about most of these guys before Because uh, yeah. we keep pulling the same cards
1: Saberhagen and Goobza uh, uh, And Cone was At one point one was game. in that rotation I, Yeah, that was yeah. a tough rotation
0: Yeah, that really was Unfortunately for me, no value, but he is wearing 2-1, and so that's going to minus a cent. Next pitcher for the New York Yankees, we've talked about him just because we were not familiar with the stats prior. It's Walt Terrell.
1: Ah, yes. We did talk about him.
0: Well, I I guarantee you what what we said was, wow, I can't believe how long he pitched for somebody that we just barely (laughs) remember his name. (laughs) That's right. He's got a mustache, though, and he's got a real stirrup, so that'll bring me back up to 12 cents. Next, we've got a guy... And uh, I, I, we just mentioned him a couple of episodes ago on uh, a story that I did, and he was involved in a trade. It is Dan Schatzsider. You got to say that one. You got to be really careful. Dan Schatzsider. Yeah, when when you say that one. Yeah. And if you remember, uh, Schatzsider was traded for Ron the Floor, who we talked about just a couple of episodes oh, that's ago, right. mm-hmm. and everybody was surprised that it was straight up. He's one for one as opposed to five for one, uh, for for Ron the floor. But then everybody <laughs> right. started to find out what issues Ron the floor was having, and uh, that was right. a good move. This card not worth anything, and uh, he's got a good mustache though. So that's one cent there for me. That'll bring me up to lucky number A Rod thirteen. This guy was very successful at throwing out Ricky Henderson. We talked about and Ricky Henderson has uh, mentioned him as being one of the guys he did not like to run against. Catcher for the Angels, Lance Parrish.
1: Oh, uh, yes. Lance Parrish. Who uh, Didn't we check? He played for a good while. He did.
0: And uh, he's a big dude. He is a really big dude. Uh, 6'3", 220. He just looks <laughs> huge in this picture. No mustache, uh, but he's a catcher. So, of course, he's got real stirrups on. And uh, that's going to be the only value, though. For that card. So that'll bring me up to 14 cents. What did you had? Uh, 23. So I've got two cards left here and I got to make up nine cents to tie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So my second to last card is uh, going to score me big with these glasses. Sturps pulled all the way, almost up to his knees. A dominant closer of the decade. It is none other than Tom Hankey of the Blue Jays.
1: Oh, yeah. Tom Hankey, who... You look at, you wouldn't go, oh, I guarantee you that guy's a total tough, bad guy closer. You look at him and go, I wonder if he runs a library.
0: <laughs> I call him science teacher glasses for a reason. It looks like he would be <laughs> teaching about photosynthesis in like junior right? high science.
1: But boy, could he pitch. Oh, my.
0: Yeah, led the League in Saves in nineteen eighty seven with thirty-four and ended up with three hundred and eleven during his career. The card's not worth anything, but the uh, the mustache and the glasses will get me two. And I'm down to my final card and I'm still trailing by seven cents, and I don't think that Dickie Thon is gonna get me over that hump.
1: <laughs> I'm a big Dicky Thon fan, of course.
0: Now he's got a good mustache here. Now didn't Dickie Thon at some point he got hit in the face with a pitch, I believe. He did. With the he, Padres, he was, uh, I
1: think. He had put up some amazing numbers and he got hit in the eye socket with a pitch and he started seeing double and he just was never the same, wasn't even close. Uh, I mean, he was still a good ball player, but when he first started, people were saying, you know, this guy's going to be a superstar. And he came back from it and I think still had some double vision, but was able to overcome it and, and be a pretty good ball player.
0: So he played for 15 years and uh, ended up with a 3 uh, sorry, a 264, 316, 373 slash line. Was a all star hmm. one time and uh, came in a fifth or a seventh in MVP voting in '83.
1: Oh, nice! But
0: uh, that card's not going to get me anything from uh, from Beckett, but it'll get me one cent because of that mustache. So that'll bring me up to 17 cents. And you, Mark, congratulations, have once again defeated me. And you've now doubled my score. You are up six to three.
1: It's uh, it's just pure skill, man. I practice more. You need to practice more. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I do. I need to. (laughs) I'm just going to steal
0: every every pack from now on. All right. So that'll (laughs) wrap up. Uh, Wax Park Heroes, that'll also wrap up our show for this week. want to thank our listeners, as always, for tuning in. I, tune in. If you're tuning in on your phone or wherever you're listening to this, you're weird, and I don't know how you're doing it, because this is an internet podcast, but... <laughs> Far be it from me to tell you how to listen to this. Uh, we do appreciate it though. And <laughs> we certainly, I really have a lot of fun during the week, Mark. I got to tell you, uh, talking to people on social media, both on Twitter and Instagram, we can be found at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise. You can get a hold of us there. And uh, I, I have a lot of fun interacting with uh, some of our listeners throughout the week that way. And uh, also, Mark, they can get a hold of us email if you want to tell them about
1: that. Sure. Just uh, write to us at uh, two strike noise. Spell it out. T.W.O. strike noise at gmail.com. Feel free to write. Let us know if we made a mistake or maybe let us know if there's a topic you're interested in hearing about or whatever, man. We're uh, we love to talk to the people that listen to our show and we certainly appreciate you.
0: So we've got a we've got an interesting show next week. Uh, there are some logistics to work out. If they do, we're going to have a great show. If they don't, we're still going to have a great show. It'll just be about something different. But uh, hopefully we will join us again next week. Until then, hope everybody stays healthy, happy and safe. And we will see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise.
1: Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.